May 22nd, 2020. Bacon and eggs. The hen is involved. The pig is committed. Visit johnsanders.com for more podcasts and articles. Nine, nine holes, two good ones. Yeah. That's pretty good. That's no, better. seven good ones. Two bad ones. Yeah. I yeah. like that ratio. I got to have a couple of bad ones in there. I know. We all get, we That's all have what, a couple of bad they ones. They say the good ones bring you back. Nope. The bad ones bring you back. Yeah. So what's going on? I emailed you and said, what do you want to talk about? I was suggesting an article, but you had, you had something completely different you wanted to talk about, huh? Well, I, well, I was just reviewing them and I love this one. This is my favorite. Well, other than uh, 76 trombones, this is my favorite. The bacon and eggs. The bacon and eggs. It's so simple. So what's, tell me about it, bacon and eggs. I mean, everybody likes bacon and eggs, or maybe not everybody, but. Well, in bacon and eggs, the hen is involved. The pig Mm -hmm. is committed. That's your difference. And when you're dealing with people, you have, you you only have two, two position points. You're committed or you're involved. There's not Mm -hmm. much in between. And if you're involved, you get your job done. You fill your eight hours. You do what you needed to do. But there's no dedication to growth, right. to, to your future. And I look out at these, um, at all these people on unemployment and the fact that mm-hmm. I've got several companies that say they called what they call they thought was a good people who said, I'm making more money on unemployment. I'll just stay on unemployment. You don't want those people back forever. Right. Right. They have committed themselves to oblivion in the future, and they'll never get the best job. So I went back to my article that was written 25 years ago, and it's still pretty good. And I was reading one of the paragraphs. I said, that's really good. (laughs) So so I go back and read my stuff, and I decide it's pretty good. So you wrote that. What do you remember, actually, uh, when you you wrote that? Do you remember kind of what, why you wrote it? Yep. I was on the, uh, when I had a magazine, when we had the newspaper, Washington Technology, I ran into the situation at the Naval Research Lab with one of my good friends who was the director of research there. Mm-hmm. The Naval Research Lab was right across in uh, Maryland, right across the Potomac River. And in fact, when you step National Airport, you could see all their antennas. And um, uh, so I was talking to him about, uh, and this, we also had uh, the newspaper, we had all kinds of events going on. So I met lots and lots and lots of people. So I can't even remember his name now, but, um, uh, he, we were talking and I said uh, something about, uh, uh, is there any magazine or publication out there on technology transfer that was just coming out 1994 or five, the feds passed a law that says that the research labs, the individuals could get royalties from the patents and the lab, all right? They worked out the split on it. So all of a sudden, all this tremendous research that was going on in Naval Research Labs began to say, let's push and open it up to the public. Let's get stuff out there. Let's go find partners. Let's really make this stuff home. Mm-hmm. So all kinds of operations became to help the feds get out into the public. And they had what they call the Federal Laboratory Consortium, FLC, and the consortium's job was to help them get out into the real world and communicate among each other. I mean, there's about 100 federal labs around the country, oh, including yeah. the CDC is one of them. And um, so I, I uh, said, well, if I did a magazine, 
I said, do you think you guys would advertise? Because I said, this is good. Technology transfer business. I decided, and I've, I've forgotten whether we did it every other month or every quarter now. But in any case, it was a moderate success. It covered its cost. And then publications, when you do that, then the future is open to you. And um, uh, so I said, uh, who in the federal, the, in the in the Naval Research Lab would decide whether they do an advertisement or not? He said, me, because they could that royalty money, they could spend the money any way the the lab director wanted, as long as it's to the betterment of the laboratory. So he became my first advertiser. So we wound up; it covered its cost. It never a big winner, but allowed me in the future when we when we started promoting the the fast fifties. And promoting mm-hmm. a technology fast 50 for the community and then branching it out, it allowed me to do a national technology fast 500. So we ah. came up with a technology fast 500 and we promoted that through technology transfer business, also recognized it in the Washington technology. So ultimately I used to, in DC, I had the fast 50 council and these were all the CEOs whose companies had ever been on the fast 50. Now, this was like 1993 or 4. We already had seven or eight of them. So you think of it, there was probably a 40 to 50% turnover every year. So with seven or eight, we had you know, 150, 175 companies that had been on the Fast 50. And this started to be a very powerful group of guys. These CEOs, I should say, they were women too, a lot of women. And because uh, in federal contracting, women have a real advantage, or did in those days. Mm-hmm. And... Um, Kind of like with the salespeople, <laughs> women have an advantage in everything. Yes, the, yes. Um, uh, the in, in, except procreating sex, they don't have a good on that. They get they need the male for that. But um, <laughs> uh, the uh, uh, so the the uh, fast five hundred. We had our first five five hundred summit CEO summit, and it was out here in California at San San Carlos at one of the hotels up there. And her featured speaker was uh, the CEO of uh, of Hewlett Packard, which was really big in those days. And mm-hmm. uh, we only had thirty five. Deloitte, Deloitte and Touche, then uh, the accounting firm, was my partner in it. They were the sponsor, and so uh, they put a lot of effort into it. We had thirty five CEOs that showed up for it, and Deloitte was very disappointed. I said, "Well, I'd like to have a hundred and fifty or two hundred also, but guys." 35 is still a pretty good thing considering it's the first one. And um, so Lou Plant was the uh, CEO of uh, of Hewlett-Packard then. So he gave the keynote speech. We had a two-day deal. And uh, I told him, I said, listen, there's only 35 CEOs that know how many were here. There's 465 who, for all intents and purposes, think they were the only one that missed it. And there's 20 million people out there that only know what we're going to tell them. So I said, yeah. we'll promote, have pictures, we'll do stuff, we'll talk about what went on. We will never mention the number of, of people that were there. And now it's one of their big, Deloitte, 20 years later, it's one of their biggest promotions, the Fast 500 CEO Summit. They have three of them, North America, Europe, Asia. I'm pretty proud of wow. that. Wow. Pretty good. So, uh, so it's kind of... It's kind of interesting what happens when you just start something, huh? Well, you you, you know, I, t- I tell people, you'll never have the second one until you have the first one. So uh, <laughs> you you got to get out there and stick your nose out and see what works and what doesn't work. And if it doesn't yeah. work, figure out if it's your fault or their fault. And yeah. uh, 
Uh, so, I'm, as I say, I'm really proud of that. When we sold the Washington Technology to the Washington Post Company, the Fast 50s and Fast 500 went along with it. Mm-hmm. And they, within a, within six months, had sold it off because they were interested in the publication, promoting them throughout the suburbs of Washington. They were out to prove that the Washington Post was not just a downtown political newspaper. And when they sold off the good, the best stuff, I said, you guys are crazy. I said, I would have bought that for what Deloitte paid for. I'm glad I didn't. <laughs> and um, so uh, that's why they drifted off and Deloitte took it and made it a big major promotion. The Fast 50s, as I understand it, the last count had like 45 of them throughout the world in the communities. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. they partner with a local publication and off they went. Mm-hmm. So it's still mm-hmm. pretty good. So anyway, awesome. that's why I was I became a writer. A, I was on the the advisory board of the Federal Laboratory Consortium. Make a long story short, or make a long story even longer. Uh, I was on the Federal <laughs> Laboratory Consortium advisory board, and uh, so they started putting out a monthly publication called FSC, FLC Newslink. And mm-hmm. so I said, "Well, I'll write an article on marketing for you because marketing is a big kabuna. How do you get out and market these technologies?" So every month I wrote an article, and that's where all these articles came from. So you, if you read the article, you'll see the bottom The bottom line says, prepared this one, the bacon, bacon eggs, prepared for the October 1997 issue of the FLC Newslink. Yes, I see that. And so that's how I got them. Every month I had to write an article. And most of these guys are not really savvy marketeers. So I did uh-huh. not get into depth. I was I was at the superficial level. Which is where I'm really good. Uh huh. Uh huh. I'm an I'm an inch I'm an inch deep and a mile wide. <laughs> inch deep and a mile. You're a carnival barker. You got it, baby. <laughs> yeah, and that, I and I I kind of follow that too. I like to promote people, you know, a lot. So, John, what else has your attention this week? Well, I tell you, this um, what is it? Forty million now uh, unemployed. Or uh, on on welfare on on uh, foods. What is it on uh, unemployment insurance? Yeah, we're, we're the 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 last week only had two point five million. It's really dropped uh-huh. off from four million. Okay, I mean we're yes. running out. We're running out of people who are employed to to get in there. It's like the coronavirus. Sooner or later, there'll be nobody left that doesn't have it. Therefore, the yeah. numbers will go down. Yeah, I just got off the phone with a with somebody, a friend of mine. I'm actually producing a not friend. Yeah, he's a friend too. Client that I'm producing an audio book for, and uh, and uh, he woke up with diarrhea this morning. Oh, it's not good. No, it's not. But he's got a great attitude, and I said, "Well, I'm going to check in with just you." Just don't tomorrow. get a temperature. Yes, don't get a temperature. Exactly. So I've been so running. Did you? At, I've been running ninety-seven point five. So I'm okay. Yeah. Well, that's good. Did you attend many of the CBAD awards? I did two of them. Uh-huh. Uh, and uh, uh, the, I wanted the ones with all Maven in it. She didn't make it, but uh, it was recognized anyway. I've actually been working with Brett every day, like I'm expecting a call from him, but he didn't call. Just a tweak because of this problem with the video stream. Yeah. When they when they play a video. Wait, who is Caroline, so, whatever her name is? It's. Name keeps popping up. There. Oh, Carolina is is one of the uh, chamber staff members. Oh, okay, I guess her name is on the title. She's she's got well, more publicity g- than anybody. <laughs> well, her name keeps coming up because that's her that's her screen name. Yeah, 
you know, uh, she doesn't have a picture. And when you don't have a picture in your profile, then the screen name comes up. So, yeah. Yeah, exactly. They've been having 100, 100 plus on there, haven't they? Yeah. 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 That's good. I really, I really like it. Um, you know, as you know, Alex and Karen, I. Karen, what's her name? Manana, the, the, the financial gal, WWM. Uh, forget her first name. I don't remember her name. She is good. She is, is yeah. exciting. She's good. She presents. Yep. You know, you think yep. you're li- really listening to her in person. Yes, which is great. Yeah. I was going to say that, you know, Alex and I at All Maven were helping to produce the San Diego. Let me see if I get this right. San Diego, North County Economic Summit. Uh, yes, I'm not, I haven't signed up on it. I need a link. How's your, how's your, how's your computer doing? Your new computer. My computer is great. I'm now using dual monitors, which is fantastic. But um, I was going to tell you that, remember, Computer Corner was going to sponsor? Yeah. And and I talked to Joe. He's my age and the senior. And he ended up talking to his wife, Carol. And Carol said, oh, I don't think we should do that. Da, da, da. So it's not going to happen. Oh, okay. Well, you, know? you, you hit one of my points that I discuss with entrepreneurs all the time. Especially uh-huh. where there are couples involved. And my okay. general position is you should not have a, first of all, 50 50 partnerships are very difficult to manage, even in marriage, right? right? Yes. Who, may, who wears the pants in the family, as you say? Who makes the decisions when it's time to make a decision? And when, you, when you're at opposite end of the pole, somebody has to make a decision or you can't move, which is another reason I like to tell small companies get an outside investor. One, get five. Therefore, you have a decision process. All right. Yes. When you can't, when the management can't make a decision, the investors will. You do what they yes. think is best, and yes, it it really helps the decision process, especially if you have two partners who are equal. That's deadly. And yeah. I try to say at the beginning, pick the one who has either a few more shares or makes more money, but make a decision early as to who is going to make the decision when the going gets tough. Yes. Yeah. I think you talked about that when you did a podcast with Kelly Bagla. Yes, I did. Yeah. It's, yeah. That's, because that's something it's, I found, it's foundational because I know there's a lot of individual guys and gals going out there starting businesses with other people and it's a partnership. And I've been, in, I was in a partnership and it just was. And the they worst. start all partnerships as equal. I remember one of yeah. the best companies I ever had. And when it started, it called Industrial Training Corporation, 1977. Videotape. Videotape training. Mm. At those days, mm. only videotape was broadcast quality. Mm-hmm. With, with the four heads, I don't know, whatever it was. It was fancy yeah. stuff. And the, and the, uh, and the cameras were $45,000. And wow. uh, that's what we paid for our first camera because these guys wanted top quality. They came wow. out of a nuclear consulting business called NUS Corporation. And uh, they were the training department. So they actually did training for nuclear power plants, mechanical maintenance, electrical wow. maintenance. All these things were very fundamental to get the job done. Wow. And I learned a lot about uh, videoing um, from these guys. But they were three three guys. One was the chief sales guy. One was the chief production guy. And one was the manager. And they came out as equal, three equal partners, which was mm. very good at the beginning because then you had dedication. And then at some point it began to waffle who is more important this you know sort of stuff and the next thing you know they were in disagreement and one of the guys turned his stock in and left 
and that was the killer. Ultimately, we yeah. didn't make it, but we went public. I made some money along the way. I sold some stock, but it didn't reach near the potential it could have. So what do you recommend? Uh, let's say two guys get together to start a company in, in equal partnership. What do you recommend they do? Get an outside investor. Yeah, I think you said that. Yeah, that's the best thing. Yeah, because they're going to be they're going to be invested in making sure their investment actually plays out. Right? Yeah, well, they're, they're going to follow what is best for that investor, and what's best for that investor is best for them. And if there's a yes. problem, the investor has a deciding vote. Yeah, yeah. You have a decision no, it makes process. Total sense. You have a decision process. <clears throat> and if you don't like one, get three. Yeah. And the answer is, <laughs> if if you own 45% of a company and you can't get 5% of other votes, then throw yourself out. Mm. All right? Yeah. So, I mean, it's simple mathematics. Well, okay, yeah. what do you want to, you want to get started or we, have we already started? <laughs> oh, we're well into it. <laughs> okay. Is there something else you want to talk about? No, I'm happy. You want to go to bacon and eggs? Let's go to bacon and it's eggs. It's not totally different from what we've been talking about. Okay, good. Did you want to go ahead and read it? Well, I'll start off because it reads pretty good. Then we'll add on to it. I'll, I'll go in and out. Many times in business, we deal with people who leave us cold at a certain point in a project or in driving a marketing deal to conclusion. They seem to have a strong involvement, but it begins to drift just when the tough aspect arrives. Some people are involved in a project, and some are committed. So one of my favorite conundrums in life is bacon and eggs. In bacon, in, in bacon and eggs, the hen is involved. The pig is committed. There's no kerning back for the pig. For the hen, I should lay another one tomorrow. So if you're really counting on a project manager or a business partner or a sales associate to produce results when you need to know the level of commitment to complete the deal, sometimes it's not possible to know these levels until the heat of battle arrives. And a necessary amount of time, energy, or reputation must be applied. Will that person commit when it's needed? So in my years of sales and promotion, I've dealt with a whole spectrum of people. And I've built up a cadre of trusted partners. That's what, you, what helps my experience. That are my preference with whom to work together. We all know what to expect from each other. It's like a football team. It's the same principle. you got to know that that guy on your right is going to make the tackle when it needs to be made or make the block. So we know the levels of commitment and production that can be expected at critical times. This knowledge, guess what, only comes from experience. I've heard mm. that old cliche, he or she's a good person to do business with. My response is, the world is full of good people, and I don't have to do business with all of them. I just want to deal with good people that I can rely on. Of course, ability also counts. How many times have you observed that an extremely capable person just doesn't perform? Further, you have to recognize that sometimes a committed person doesn't have the ability to perform. But I believe that capability is easier to determine than commitment. So let me tell you, there is a, a published about the early 1900s was Dr. Lawrence Peter. God, I think he was British. I'm not sure. And anyway, he wrote a book called The Peter Principle. And in the I remember yeah, it. Yep, I, I still have the little paperback. 
And uh, in it, his, his fundamental corollary is that in a bureaucracy, remember all these guys, Lawrence Peter, um, uh, uh, Northcote, Parkinson, and uh, Murphy, Colonel Murphy from Ray Patterson, they all dealt with a bureaucracy. That was their study of a bureaucracy. And, of course, federal government, number one. But in a bureaucracy, a person rises to his level of incompetence. One way or the other, the organization reaches a point where everybody in it is in an incompetent position. And guess what happens? The bureaucracy grounds to a halt because nothing moves. Yeah. Okay? Yeah. So the, um, uh, and, the, and that incompetence is not just necessarily doesn't have the smarts. They, he points out that a secretary in a, in a company can do an outstanding job. Guess what? She gets promoted to the executive assistant, to the boss, and it's out of her element, and it flounders. But the key is training. It's not just yes. capability, but it's also training so that the person yes. is comfortable in their job and wants to get to a higher position. So you look at small companies. I look here. You got the people on the wait staff. Now, how do you turn that? Or McDonald's hamburger flipper? How do you turn that into a commitment to really do a great job? There's got to be a future. You got to have be able to see. Boy, if I do a good job, I can get promoted. I can make more money. I can do this. I can manage more people. Whatever it is, it determines higher higher up. And, you know, in the government, it's the number of people you manage that, that determines how, how up you are, not what you guys do. And uh, so everybody wants to get be the manager of a bigger organization. I remember when I was in General Electric, God, everything goes back to my year at General Electric, which is now 60 years ago, 59 years ago, my one year at General Electric. But I was in an engineering group in Schenectady, had about 15 guys in it, all guys. And uh, so when the manager was leaving, I kind of asked one of the others, so who's going to get promoted? And he said, no one inside will. They always bring someone in from somewhere else. It gives a new perspective. And it also allows General Electric to do number one, buy from within. If they need something, don't go across their ocean. Go right within General Electric. And so General Electric was very introspective. And... Uh, mm -hmm. But that was an interesting thing to me because then they come in with a new perspective because a manager is a manager. He doesn't have to be a dummy, but he doesn't have to know all the intricacies of what's going on because you have the staff to do that. And uh, yeah. in any company, you're looking for the best person to do the job. And so I look at small companies at eight or ten employees. And guess what? You're reaching adolescence. I call adolescence when you've reached a level where the money coming in is equal to or greater than the money going out. So you reach a level of survival. So now when you've got survival is not number one goal, then you can decide how are we going to grow. And so you start looking for the people that you want to base your business on. And un until adolescence, you're basing who can bring in the bucks, who can get the bucks yeah. out the door. Once you reach that level of adolescence, where now you're you're moving toward away from I got to survive or I got to reach, I got to deal with mom and dad. You're now going toward what do I put the systems in place that allow me to grow the rest of my life? That's mm -hmm. why adolescence is so critical. 
and so much fun, mm-hmm. by the way. Yeah. So sometimes I'll go on and say, ability counts. How many times have you observed an extremely capable person just doesn't perform? Further, you have to recognize that sometimes a committed person doesn't have the ability to perform. But I believe, as I said, capability is easier to find or to do than commitment. Mm-hmm. So you can't always know what the results will be when a critical time arrives, but you sure can have an understanding between you and that partner in advance about what must be done. Make your needs clear, get a commitment to perform, and then test that person to know what to expect in the future. It's the test that counts. If you read my book, Parables for Entrepreneurs, my point is life is always a test. We're yes. always being tested. And that's what God says to get to heaven. You got to pass the test. And there's always another test. So as the level of responsibility increases, the testing continues to produce people who could be trusted to perform bigger and more critical functions. Therefore, to be sure, you be sure you always have a pipeline of people who are being tested so that the various job functions can be performed by the person with the appropriate level of ability who will honor the completion commitment and then make sure he is stretched beyond what you knew before. This is how the best managers produce their ultimate team. You can't give every job to the best person. It should go to the appropriate person. Hmm. If something, here you go. This is 20, 25 years ago. I wrote this. If something absolutely and positively must be performed, sounds FedExy, doesn't it? Then you need a capable partner who will commit to the results. Involvement only is too risky. Oh, yeah, don't forget to apply these concepts to testing yourself. So FedEx built their company on if it absolutely and positively must be there, come to us. They made a commitment, and they honored it, and they grew. Yes. Yes. So. They did. Yeah. The te- yeah. It's, it's, it, we're always being tested. So COVID-19 is just another test. Yeah, that's how I look at right? it. Life is light. You're not a life. Life is not allowed to be smooth and easy. Mm-hmm. You get mm-hmm. lazy, and when you get lazy, then then the side bumps knock you off. It's amazing how all these how all these little simple things really have great meaning. Yeah, what what I, what I've discovered, John, is that for those people that want life to be simple, want life to feel good, want everything to be wonderful be and a awesome truck driver. and everything else. Be a truck driver. The what? Be a truck driver. Well, yeah, but it's also an it's an adolescent emotional way of being. I mean, it's it's just adolescent. That's what kids do. Kids want to have fun and run around and all the rest of it and everything. You know, Unless, it's just not that no, way. They're not all kids. Let me tell you, I played, Carol and I played golf on last, when it was Saturday, I think it was. Uh-huh. And we were team. We were with another uh, a father and his two two kids. Mm-hmm. Jasmine is fourteen, slender little girl, and mm-hmm. Ted was eleven. And they'd both been taking lessons at Aviera. I mean, big bucks. Let me tell you, they were phenomenal. This little gal could hit that ball two hundred plus yards, and when she had hundred and fifty to go, she took whatever iron she used and she put that ball right by the pin. I said, I said, how old are you? She said, 14. She looked about 10. And uh, wow. uh, she already she's already a sophomore at, at Carlsbad High School, and she's on the golf team. So I yes. said, you better be on the golf team. And I said, you got yeah, yeah, your yeah. college scholarship, assuming they're still playing golf in three years. 
But uh, uh, it was phenomenal. But, boy, she had the talent. Just imagine if she were six feet instead of four foot eight. But um, <laughs> she had the ability. She could play. The key was she could place that approach shot right by the pin. That's it. Mm. Every time. Mm. I mean, I was I was blown away. And little 11-year-old, he really whacked that ball. He was he was a terror out there. And Dad had his stool, and, he's, and the kids were in the cart, and he walked, sat down with his stool, and waited to see where that ball went. So, uh, but that gal was committed to her, her to her position, and she wasn't mm-hmm. just involved in golf like me. I mean, I'm not committed to golf. I mean, at my age, what difference does it make whether I can strike, knock four strokes off the damn thing? Even though with the number of strokes I got, I ought to be able to knock them off. But uh, you got to be committed to 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 practice and everything. So it's really interesting how simple that bacon eggs. Analogy is to the difference between involvement and commitment. It's really, it's it's really out there in all the world. The hen is involved. The pig is committed. Yep. Commit yep. the committed the pig's done. That's it. He gets his job done. So, he's done. so, so what I do with this, I would say almost it's not a parable, but it's certainly a piece of wisdom. What I'll do um, when we're done today, I'll just kind of sit back and look and and apply that in my life and just see where that shows up. Yeah. In my own life, yeah. where where am I? Where am I just involved? Where am I truly committed? Yeah, you can't be so committed. That place, By the way, you can't keep be committed to everything. No, <laughs> uh, exactly. So wh- one model I like to work with in terms of working with other people, and as you know, I've been I've been, you know, I told you I have an audio editor now, and I've putting together a little bit of team for this network I want to create, and. uh so it's it's obviously you know I I look at um, are people able and capable? Mm-hmm. Actually, it's willing and able. So if people are willing, great. If they're able, great. But it's rare to find that. But you can find somebody that's really willing but not capable, and they can learn. You can teach. You them. can train people, right? You can train yes. dogs to, to turn flips. I can't. Yes, but you can train a dog to turn them. You can train people <laughs> to do just about anything if they're committed. Yeah. But if you have somebody that is really capable but unwilling, it doesn't make any difference how good they are. If they're not willing, you're going to be disappointed. You still don't. You're going to be disappointed. Totally. Totally. <clears throat> you know how you do it? Trial and error. Trial and error. Trial and error. Is that right? There's not much other way to find it. <clears throat> Unless they check a box, yeah. I'm committed. That doesn't yeah. mean anything. Well, the other, the other thing I go by is I look at commitment by what people do, not what they say they're going to do. That's it. That's why it's trial and error. It's only by experience, yes. only by experiment. Yes. And that's, yes. Why the, that's why the testing, you're always testing because at whatever level has he reached his level of incompetence because he's not committed mm-hmm. to go further. And mm-hmm. so, I mean, it happens to CEOs. That's why they get bounced eventually. It turns out they've reached their level of incompetence. And that incompetence is not just technical incompetence. It's 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 uh, psychological. It's physical. It's everything else like that. And, or it can be home life. God, it can be anything, right? Sickness. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Sickness is the worst. I always tell another one of my things about small companies is the first thing a small company should do, and I'm going to get on this on my, all my companies now, 
is once you've reached a certain level where there's value, true value in the company, you want to get life insurance on the CEO. Life mm. insurance is really cheap right? because people mm. are living longer. So you've got a 30 mm. or 40 year old, you can get a half a million dollars of life insurance for, oh, a uh, couple hundred bucks a year. I mean, it's really cheap. Yes. Yes. It's, I used to, by the way, many years ago when I was really promoting companies, I sold life insurance because then I could get the cheapest stamps life insurance. It was always a term, um, and not, uh, you don't want to invest in a life insurance policy. Insurance companies are terrible. Yeah. Their rates are terrible. Right. So you right. don't want to give them the money. You just want the insurance. And, uh, right. But you can, you can insure against that sickness. The CEO gets sick. There is no insurance policy. I mean, yeah. you, you can pay him to stay off and give him $500 a month or $1,000 a month or 5000 a month. You just got to pay for it. It's very expensive. But, boy, your organization goes down the crapper pretty quickly. If that's yeah, if you, key, yeah, key yeah, CEO right. is sick. So I always say mm-hmm. when they talk, well, you know, the way you sell a deal is have a lot of risk factors. And then you put the statement in there, how we're going to deal with the risk factors. So you say, all right, uh, the future is uh, indeterminate and we don't know whether our product will work. Right. So we're going to deal with that because we're really concentrating on making sure the product works and we hit a market for which it's useful. So you've mitigated the risk. I'm like Dr. Fauci. You mitigate the risk. So not exactly (laughs) like him, but uh, in any case, and then if you have 10 good solid risk factors and you've mitigated all of them, you've got a deal that, that can sell. And so you really sell by the risk factors because if there's no risk factor, no risk, there's no reward. That's life also. Mm. So um, uh, you, you can mitigate the risk, but one of the cheapest is life insurance. What happens if the CEO dies? Yeah. Good investment. we got a half a million bucks. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah. And I always used to tell them also, now make sure the amount of insurance you've got is economically sound. You don't want to be more valuable dead than alive. It makes you uncomfortable to go travel on the plane or to go out in the car. Somebody's planted a bomb. Yeah. So make sure the, the life insurance is in tune with the with the value. And it can change. Oh, it eventually hopefully gets more and more uh, more and more costly as you get yeah. older and more valuable. Awesome, John. This is all at the heels of uh, this article, Bacon and Eggs, which can be found at johnsanders.com, and you just click on the Articles tab. Really glad that Alex got that up, yep. right? And prominent. I told yeah. her that's, that's what's needed. I'm very happy with it now. Did you notice on the podcast page that, um, you know, at the top, basically, it lists all the podcasts yep. from the latest to the – Yep, yep. To the oldest. And you're still going down with the book chapters being like independent podcasts. They're independent. Yeah. 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 At some point, if you want, we can talk about actually taking the whole book and creating just like one file. People could just listen to it straight through. I think that might be useful. That might be useful. I think so. Just put it off on the side. Yep. All right. Good, John. I'm going to go. Now, turn us off.